0: All right, I'm turning this evening to Matthew chapter number five once again, Matthew chapter number five. And we began last week looking at verses 31 through 32. And uh, this will be part two of that message last week, uh, dealing with the Lord's teachings on divorce. And last week, we spent the majority of our time dealing with what the Mosaic law actually taught. So what the law actually taught regarding uh, divorce. And tonight, primarily, we're going to be looking at what the Pharisees and scribes taught. All right, so we learned last week what the actual law was, what it actually required. And then we're going to look tonight at what the Pharisees and the scribes taught. Now, we learned a lot last week by coming to the understanding that when we see What the old Mosaic Law, uh, oftentimes for many of us, is very far from what even we thought it was. Uh, It's amazing what time and amazing what history does to sometimes convolute our thinking on a particular subject. Uh, This is one of those subjects. Sadly, in our churches, a lot of what we know or what, what we believe has been framed Uh, by the world's way of looking at it, not by what God's word actually said. And so it has infiltrated our churches in many ways to where we find well-intentioned Bible believers believing uh, what the world says about it instead of what the Bible actually says. And of course, we, we looked at how primarily the Mosaic legislation or the Mosaic law was given regarding divorce primarily for the reason to reduce the amount of chaos that had entered into the, the context or the subject of divorce. And we see that uh, the, the idea was to calm a situation. Uh, this was never an intentment, an intent uh, to make this the norm or to make this uh, what needs to be or what must be. Now I say all that because that's what the approach of the Pharisees and the scribes was. They took that legislation, that law of Moses regarding divorce, and turned it into something that it was not. So as we consider what the Pharisees and the scribes taught based upon what we learned last week, uh, their main intention here, and again, for, for context sake, let's read verses 31 and 32 again in Matthew 5, and then you also would want to be ready to go over to Matthew 19 again. We, we dealt with both of these passages last week, and we'll be referring to both of them again. Notice again verse 31 of Matthew 5. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing or a bill of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Now, we referenced Deuteronomy 24, which gave us the actual law regarding divorce, and uh, gave the... The requirement of a bill of divorcement. In other words, this chaotic situation had turned into where men were putting away their wives for any and all reasons. There was no real, uh, there was no real structure behind it, and so the law came in and said, in order for a man to divorce his wife, there had she had to be given a bill of divorcement. Now, that's what. Jesus is talking about here in verse 31 when he says, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. He was referencing back to that that law that said, if a man puts away his wife, he has to give her this bill of divorcement. But again, notice what Jesus says, but he says in verse 32, but I say unto you. Okay, so he's taking, here's what was said, here's in fact, What was fact, the bill of divorcement was a very real thing, but he takes it one step further and gives the real intention of what the law was. He says that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. So, long story short, here's what's happening the Pharisees and scribes took this to just simply mean that. This bill of divorcement made everything okay. In other words, because now this bill of divorcement is in place, now what God is actually saying, or what the law of Moses is commanding, that it's urging a man to divorce his wife. That was not the case at all. It was never intended to urge divorce. Okay, It was never intended even to urge divorce under certain conditions. Okay? The law of Moses never said that. There's nowhere in Scripture that the Bible is actually urging man, a man, to put away his wife. Okay? It's not there. Now Jesus is taking, again, in contrast to what the Pharisees and the scribes were saying. The law of Moses didn't command divorce. All it did was to say to a man, if you do divorce your wife... You can only do so under these conditions. Now that's where Jesus deals with this primarily in Matthew 19. So let's go back there again. I know we read an extended portion last week, but he's talking about the same subject. The scribes and the Pharisees are only hearing one thing. They're hearing bill of divorcement and putting their wives away. Okay they're not hearing or wanting to acknowledge anything beyond that. They were actually teaching. Okay, the Pharisees and scribes were actually teaching that Moses was commanding divorce. Okay, now you can see where this is going to cause quite a problem. The Pharisees truly are believing that what that meant, that what the law of Moses was saying about the bill of divorcement is that God is commanding men to put away their wives and nothing could be further from the truth. Again, notice in verse 3 of, of chapter 19 of Matthew, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him. Now that's, that is a giveaway, okay? Tempting him. This, this is not an honest approach to our Lord about the subject. They are, they, are, they are attempting to catch him ensnare him in his own words. Okay? When you see the, the word tempting him with relation to Christ or relation to Jesus himself, the idea here is, is there's is bad intentions. They are attempting to, to convince or persuade uh, and catch him in his words. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, remember what the bill of divorcement did. The bill of divorcement was given for cause. Their tempting question is this. Is it right for any cause for that bill of divorcement to be given? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? This, uh, this might not be the right word. This is a brilliant response the Lord he does not even answer that question he immediately jumps to the intention and the purpose and the reason for marriage okay that's that's what his answer is and you say where is that male and female okay he Jesus sets in motion here's God's creation God through Jesus, Jesus Christ as God introduces into the conversation from the tempting question from the Pharisees: Is it lawful to put away a man to put away his wife for every cause? He takes it from divorce and he goes all the way back to creation. And he says, Male and female. Okay, we could we could preach a whole message on that. Okay? That's, that's where he is. He doesn't even talk about the causes and the bill of divorcement. And said. For this cause, what cause? Male and female. Okay, that's the cause. God created male and female, and because he created male and female, a man leaves father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Now you notice that there's a question mark at the end of that. It's interesting. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? It's a, it's a brilliant response. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. Now, I don't know if you mark in your Bibles, you take notes, but one flesh, okay, one flesh is the purpose of marriage. Okay, that, that, in, a, in, a, in a theological nutshell, that's the purpose. One flesh. Okay, this is what's getting completely swept under in the modern day of what marriage is and how marriage is dissolved and all of those things. His purpose was this. I created male, I created female. That For that cause, man leaves his father and mother, a woman leaves and he cleaves to her, and they're no longer two, but one, one flesh. That's the key. What therefore God hath joined together, let no, not man put asunder. Have you ever been to a wedding and they actually, they don't always say it now, but they actually used to use that terminology. Let no man put asunder. That statement was not just part of the wedding vows, it's kind of just what we do. It's a biblical reference back to Jesus' words about this very thing, saying, folks, what you've just witnessed here." Is the creation of God, male and female, male leaving father and mother, cleaving to his wife. And now what you have in front of you is a picture of one flesh, which is the purpose of marriage. Jesus gives the most beautiful picture of what this is all about. And he's not even dealt with their question then. Now the Pharisees, being the intellects that they are, they say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? In other words, Jesus, if if this was such the picture, if if this was the beauty of creation and male and female, then why in the world did Moses, remember now they're blaming Moses, saying that the law says, commands to divorce his wife, then why did, notice what it says, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement? Do you see what's happening here? (laughs) <laughs> they're accusing the law of stating that because a bill of divorcement was actually granted to, or to, to curb the chaos, that divorce is now okay and that Moses is commanding divorce. Moses was never commanding divorce. Moses was never doing any such thing. He saith unto them, again, another brilliant answer, Mose, uh, he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Jesus completely blows up this idea of the command of divorce. No, he says the reason it was actually given is because of the hardness of your heart, but that's not the way it was supposed to be from the beginning. What was the beginning? God created male and female. Male would leave his father and mother, would cleave to his wife, they would become one flesh. Does everybody see that? That is the picture that's here. So when we think about what the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching, they were coming with this idea that Moses somehow commanded. Now because they believed and were teaching that Moses commanded divorce, the next logical step for them was to demand a divorce and insisting upon their rights to get one. Okay, You can kind of see a pattern developing here. If I can convince myself Moses has commanded us to divorce, the next logical step is then I'm demanding my rights to do that. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? We, we live in a society that's all about demanding my rights, demanding what I am able to do. What is my liberty? What is my freedom? The hardest of their heart was, is they were just looking for any way, anyhow, and now they said, we have a legal way out. I'm demanding my right to put away my wife for certain causes. Okay, this is what's happening. So they took that old Mosaic law and remember we read about in in Deuteronomy 14 about the the, the reason was uncleanness. And I kind of made the statement last week that we would deal with this thought of uncleanness. Deuteronomy 24 doesn't talk about adultery, fornication. It talks about uncleanness. So guess what the... Pharisees and scribes, being true to form, do. They decide to define and interpret what uncleanness is. Okay, so they're teaching God commanded through Moses to divorce, and because he commanded it, we demand our right to do it, and we also have now the right to interpret what uncleanness is. Now, go back and think about the question he's asking or the, the Pharisees and scribes. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? They've got uncleanness in their mind because they know that was the reason that, these, that this divorce was allowed. So they actually taught. Now, we don't see this scripturally. This is, this is tradition. This is historical documents that you see. They actually began to teach that even if a man just simply ceased to like his wife for any reason, or just simply found her unsatisfactory to him, that in a sense was the definition of uncleanness. So they redefined what uncleanness actually was. Now that's typical of the Pharisees and the scribes. They interpreted the law based upon what they wanted the law to say. In reality, what they're actually doing is avoiding the law altogether. Now remember, it's the, fri- the, the Pharisees and the scribes are the ones that were screaming, you need to obey the law, you need to obey the law. And the same people saying you need to obey the law are the ones who are avoiding it. The result was, because they were avoiding the law, in principle, as well as the letter of the law, the result was this, that at the time of our Lord, there were great injustices being done against many women who were being divorced for most, most of world were frivolous, unworthy reasons. It was not based upon a real sense of uncleanness. These Pharisees and scribes were teaching, listen, if you just don't like her anymore, just put her out. But now we're going to follow what it says. We'll give her a bill of divorcement, but we're going we're to determine the definition of uncleanness. Now, if you go back to Matthew 19, I know we were actually in Matthew 5 and... Months down the road, when we get back to Matthew 19, we've already been here, but notice this says in verse 9, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So there was only one factor that really mattered to the Pharisees and the scribes in what they taught. All they were concerned about is make sure you give her the bill of divorcement. Folks, this all boils down to one truth and one truth only. All the Pharisees cared about when they asked Jesus that question was the bill of divorcement. They were not concerned about her. They were not concerned about God and his glory. They were only concerned about we're demanding our right to be able to put her away. And we're going to define our own sense of uncleanness. Now, they were very diligent. And in a, in maybe next week, I'm going to share with you, it's fascinating, fascinating and sad. I found a copy of what a typical bill of divorcement in that day, how it would have read. And it's, it's truly sad with what you see. Because it didn't really matter as long as they had a bill of divorcement, then they said, then it's, it's okay to do. So they did not, however, in that bill of divorcement necessarily state why they were divorcing her. They just said it's due to uncleanness. Well, that's convenient, isn't it? It's kind of the situation, the legal aspect of this is we have to give give her a bill of divorcement, but I'll just label everything as uncleanness. Now... Jesus is very specific here when he says, except it be for fornication. This word is not coming up just randomly, okay? He knows, obviously, what Deuteronomy 24 said, okay? He he knows that the uncleanness is being labeled as can be anything, and now he introduces the idea of this sexual sin into the conversation, and he says, this is the the only reason. Now, just because he says it's the only reason, doesn't mean he's advocating for divorce, or commanding divorce, even in that scenario. Okay? Now, that, that's, that's going to be for another day. But I think everyone, all of us know what, I'm, what I mean by that. Just because it happened didn't mean that he says, okay, because it happens, then you automatically ought to give a bill of divorcement and that, to, that marriage should end. Why? Because of the original cause as to why God created male and female. One flesh. Okay. That's that's the key. So we don't want to walk away here tonight saying, hey, look, Jesus is okay with it. He's never advocating for it. But he is saying that if that one flesh is is going to be split, there's only one reason and only one reason only. Now again, our minds go to 150 different things. And I know where your mind's going because mine goes there. For this tonight, we need to keep it right what he's saying, because that's all Jesus says, okay? So, what mattered to the Pharisees and scribes, again, what we're dealing with tonight is primarily what they were teaching. What mattered to them was just the writing or bill of divorcement. So, our Lord simply puts it this way, back in our text in Matthew 5, It hath been said, in other words, this is the sort of thing you've been hearing from the, the Pharisees and the scribes. What is the important thing? Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Of course that's important. However, because the law of Moses had enacted that, but you see that wasn't the main thing. The Pharisees and scribes taught the main thing is just make sure, and I'm, I'm being repetitive intentionally, The main thing was just make sure she gets a bill of divorcement. They weren't emphasizing that. That was not the center of the picture as far as they were concerned. That's why in Matthew 19, that was such a beautiful picture of what Jesus was saying when he went in and he brought in creation. Now you may have returned back to Matthew 5, but here's what the the disciples' response to that statement back in Matthew 19 was his disciples say unto him if the case of the man be so with his wife it is not good to marry now the disciples for all of their times of faith that weakened and faith that sometimes was stretched they're asking a question that Jesus does not rebuke them for he they his disciples are saying if this is the case It's not good to marry. In other words, if this is the requirement, then a man shouldn't marry. And Jesus completely puts it right where we ought to see it. But he said unto them, all men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. No, not everybody can take that. Not everybody can receive that. Not everybody is going to be able to even acknowledge that. But the fact that in Matthew 19, Jesus takes us back to the beauty of creation and gives us the real purpose of marriage. And he says not all are going to be able to receive this. There's conversations that go on in our home that I'm not going to give all the details on. But the pressure, okay, for example, that every young person somehow feels that every single one of them are required at some point to be married. Okay? And, and it's happening younger and younger where we're worth telling, look, when you're 18, 19, 20 years old whatever the case is, find, find that person and find them really, really quick listen, that's not necessarily the case for everybody it just isn't it's not always going to be the case and, and there, are, there are people that for whatever reason God ordains for their entire life they remain single there are, there are missionaries serving all around the world that are single They're single men. There are single women. It happens. But yet, Jesus' words, he goes on, he says, For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Jesus really does not even go back and deal specifically with that tempting question they were, they were answering, but ra- asking, but rather he's emphasizing the reality that the Pharisees and scribes are failing to see the real meaning of marriage. They had failed to consider the whole question of divorce and the reasons for it in a right, truthful, and righteous manner. Okay, how we approach a subject and how we view a subject matters. I began by saying that even the definition and the meaning of marriage has become convoluted even in the church. Very rarely do you hear people talk about marriage and talking about that the purpose was this one fleshed idea. We use terminology that's not necessarily wrong, We're making a covenant, we talk talk about certain things, and we're making promises, we're taking vows, all of those things. We talk about, and even as we get into our study in Ephesians on Sunday morning, when we get to the end of Ephesians 5, and talk about how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, don't lose sight of the reality that the purpose of marriage was this picture of one flesh. This This is key to the entirety of what's happening here. So the perversion that the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching was the perversion of the Mosaic teaching or the Mosaic law. By tempting or attempting to tempt to Jesus, what they were doing was avoiding what the law really said and then trying to circumvent the whole thing by their clever, deceptive interpretation and traditions that they added to the law. The result was simply this. What the Pharisees and the the scribes were teaching is that the ultimate object of the Mosaic law had been entirely concealed and nullified. In other words, if you would have listened to what what the, the Pharisees and scribes are teaching and you say that's what the Bible teaches about divorce, what you have basically done is you have totally concealed and nullified what the law really said. And that's what we talked about last week, what the law actually said, and now what the Pharisees and scribes said. Now I want to introduce this third heading just to start us on next week. I'm not even going to attempt to try to get through the concept or the principle now of bringing us to this last and third heading. What does the Lord say about this? So what is he, and I've already kind of hinted on this and actually said it, what is he actually teaching with regard to? to divorce. Again, the key is, but I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife saving or except for the cause of fornication causeth her to commit adultery and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Now that statement we just read in Matthew 19 verses 3 through 9 is the way we interpret what Matthew 5 is saying. Remember we've talked about biblical interpretation. The best way to interpret the Bible is to interpret the Bible with other Scripture. Okay, interpretation best done is to compare Scripture with Scripture. Some people think the best Bible interpretation is to go to your favorite commentary. Nothing wrong with commentaries, but that's not your first level of interpretation. Your first level of interpretation is comparing Scripture with Scripture. So we have to take Deuteronomy 24, we have to take Matthew 5, we have to take Matthew 19 at the bare minimum, to come up to with a conclusion as to what Jesus was actually saying. Okay, so I can't, I can't choose and pick and pull what I want to meet my definition of what divorce and what, what signifies an acceptable situation, okay? Now, I say all that because this is what happens in the church. I, I, have not, I kid you not, if we were to bring 10 churches together, Okay, and I would, I would tell you 10 Baptist churches together. It would not shock me if you got a minimum of five different definitions, reasons, purposes for marriage and or divorce that would be based upon, often, societal norms and societal traditions. Why am I making a big deal about that? Because that's exactly what the Pharisees and scribes were doing. They were adding and changing and twisting instead of actually saying what does God's word actually say about it? So, this helps us interpret what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5. Matthew 19 is a further explanation of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, verses 31 through 32. Again, what was the the intent of the Pharisees in Matthew 19? They were attempting to trap him. That's why they use the phrase, is it lawful, okay? Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? In a sense, what they were doing, they were giving themselves away. Now, the Lord already knew the motive and the intent of their heart, right? But they're giving themselves away by asking such a question, The Lord's answer, the very first principle here, he emphasizes the sanctity of marriage. Okay, that's where we went back to. Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication. You notice he goes back beyond the law of Moses to the law that was given by God at the very beginning. That's the key to this, folks. Jesus went, and I hope you saw this, the Mosaic law did not exist at creation. Their question was, is it lawful? Jesus doesn't say, well, the Mosaic law says, no, he rewinds and goes all the way back to when God created man and woman. Now that's not that's not by chance. There's something that Jesus is doing here. He's going back beyond the law of Moses to the law that was given by God. When God created woman, and we could study this back in Genesis, He created woman to be a helpmeet for the man that He made that great pronouncement. And that's what He says in Matthew 19. They twain shall be one flesh. That goes all That... That shows you that Jesus was not basing this divorce, the right of divorce, based solely upon the Mosaic law. He's going so he's going all the way back. Okay? What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Now, at most marriages and weddings today, if the minister uses that term what therefore God hath joined together let no man not man put asunder many times that couple standing there unless they've been raised in solid biblical teaching are not even getting the concept of what that means they're hearing oh and again I'm not I'm not trying to be offensive isn't it beautiful how God brought us together as a couple that's what they're hearing What they're failing to understand is that that minister is actually quoting a Bible verse that was more than just a verse. It was what God's declaration of what one flesh was supposed to be. Jesus is saying, quit following the law as your basis as to whether or not you have the right to divorce her and go all the way back to what I originally said. Let no man put asunder. How was a divorce executed. Well, we mentioned this last week. Not only did the man have to give a writing of divorce, but there had to be two witnesses of that, of the woman's uncleanness, right? So now you have this picture where Jesus is going back and marriage is not just a civil contract. It's not a sacrament and it's not something that Two people just simply agree to do. Marriage is something to which two people actually become one flesh. This whole situation that Jesus is teaching about divorce comes back to the principle of one flesh. Not the legality of it. Not whether or not the bill of divorcement is what's needed. What Jesus is trying to demonstrate here is there is an indissolvability about it. Okay? That's what the intent was. It's supposed to be indivisible. Okay? That's what the intent was. The Lord goes right back to that principle. When God made woman for the man, that was his intention. Okay? Now again, I realize in our society, our modern society, that phrase that I just said offends people beyond all beyond all belief. But that's what God's intention was. That's what God said. And as he said that, that's what he indicated. That's what he ordained. The law which God laid down. Now remember, what did the Pharisees say? Is it lawful? When God divinely ordained marriage, he was setting down a law. His law was that a man should leave his father and his mother be joined to his wife, and that they should become one flesh. That was the law of God. The Pharisees were not thinking about the law of God in creation. They were thinking about the Mosaic law, and their conclusion was, Moses commanded divorce, so now I'm demanding my rights. I'm determining she's unclean, so I'm dissolving the marriage. Here's the bill of divorcement, and here's my two witnesses. Those, that letter I told you about actually was signed, would have to be signed by two witnesses. That means two witnesses had to agree that what he said was uncleanness was uncleanness. Okay, That's, Jesus is not even dealing with that. He's going back to something so much deeper and so, so much further back. Something new and distinct had taken place. The aspect of one flesh, folks, is so important that you find that principle, okay? So when you start thinking about marriage and divorce and you read it through scripture, you should not be able to read about those subjects without seeing the subject of one flesh running through the very heart of it. Does everybody understand what I mean by that? So when you see marriage and divorce, if you don't see the one flesh law of God written down, you are going to misinterpret and you're going to give the wrong meaning and the wrong rights for divorce it's kind of a deep well but that is what the intent was again the problem in our society today is not the law of god the problem in society today is not even the mosaic law the problem is mankind has taken the law of god in the beginning male, god created male and female folks <laughs> This idea of gender identity is an assault on God's creation. And if I assault God at the very heart of His creation, I change the narrative on everything. Because now I can determine who can be married. You see why this matters. (laughs) The one flesh concept, without that... What, what, what the Bible says makes no sense. And if we're always just looking for, well, here's what the Bible says about marriage, and here's what it says about divorce, and do I have a right to divorce this woman? If a man approaches it that way, do I have a right to divorce this woman? And he says, here's what, that, here's what Deuteronomy 24 says, here's what Matthew 5 says, here's what Matthew 19 says. I will tell you, and I'm, I'm not, I would never give a name or even, a, even enough for you to ever figure it out. Anytime anybody's ever asked me about this, anytime, the question never is about creation in one flesh. The question is, do I have a right to get a divorce? That's the question that I always get. Does the Bible teach that I can get a divorce? And if so, what are the reasons that I can? Now, Jesus does say, except for one thing, fornication. That does not mean that he is saying that that's what I am saying that's the best thing to do or exert your right to do it. Cuz remember, the bill of divorcement came as a result of the Mosaic law. The law of God from creation was let no man put asunder. Okay, that's that's just scripture. So this one flesh that runs through Scripture, you will find even when we get to 1 Corinthians 6. Okay, And 1 Corinthians 6 is one of those tough passages. It's a tough passage because we're dealing with uh, sensitive subjects. But Paul in Corinthians actually speaks about the terrible thing that fornication really is. And that's where he talks about in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. Paul writes these words. He says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. Now, context always matters. Paul emphatically says, God forbid. What? Know ye not? That he which is joined to a harlot is one body, for two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Are we seeing this? This is to corrupt and to pervert the picture of what one flesh was supposed to be. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. First Corinthians six. Those passages. Very rarely is marriage ever introduced to that conversation. It happens, but very rarely. Paul would have had that in mind about even the sin of fornication that was going on in the church of Corinth. Because if you know your Bible, you know that they had a real problem in the church of Corinth with sexual sin. That's why Paul dealt with it so strongly. That's why we, we have a whole other chapter in 1 Corinthians 7 about Paul's teachings on marriage. So again, remember, context matters. matters. Interpretation matters. Paul deals with the teachings on marriage. He deals with the body, the believer's body is a temple. So Paul says that the terrible thing about fornication is that a man becomes one flesh, and this is the Bible's words, with a harlot. That's a most solemn and important thing to remember. Our Lord starts there, and then he goes back to the beginning, to his, the original view of marriage. So the question then becomes, and we'll deal with this next week, if that's so, if Jesus is going back to the original law of God, then how do you explain the law of Moses? And that's primary we're going to deal with next week. How does the law of Moses enter in? Because here's what I want you to think about for next week. If this is God's own view of marriage, the one flesh, Okay? Back to the very beginning. If that's God's view of marriage, I want you to consider this question for this week. Why did he allow divorce to take place on the conditions we just considered? Because the one condition is what? Fornication. So if that was the intent, that's your homework for this week, why did he allow that, why did the Mosaic law allow for that one condition, which is the very condition that Paul says corrupts The Picture of One Flesh. And we'll deal with that next week. We've already kind of hinted at it tonight, but I want you to kind of read it for yourself this week, and then we'll deal with it next week. All right? So we'll begin there uh, when we gather together on Wednesday. So let's finish our time tonight with singing a hymn. It is on page number 162. 162. We'll go ahead and turn to that hymn and we'll go ahead and stand together and we'll sing wonderful, merciful Savior and then we'll pray and we'll be dismissed this evening.